0: Hello and welcome to The Hive Podcast, the series that inquires into our relationship with one another, with technology and with the living world. Join me, Nathalina Nahai, and some wonderful guests as we explore the pressing question of how we can support one another to envision and create a more flourishing, integrative future for all. For more information on today's episode and guest, please visit natalienahide.com forward slash The Hive Podcast. And for additional books and resources, check out natalienahide.com forward slash resources. Thanks for listening, and I hope you enjoy the show. In today's interview, I speak with Ruby and Christabel Reed, two sisters who in 2015, started organising events to explore the interconnections between ecology, community, spirituality and well-being. They understood the ecological emergency and mental health crisis to be inherently connected and wanted to learn about ways of being that could create happier, healthier and more just cultures. This unfolding project became Advaya, a systems change initiative that organises around the principles of radical regeneration and joyful revolution. Since its inception, it has become a global platform for transformative education, which has organised over 200 events that promote everything from regenerative narratives, embodiment, daily practice, small-scale agriculture and degrowth, to local economies, ecosystem restoration, public awakening and embedded ecological awareness. In 2020, Christabel Ruby and Cara Delevingne founded EcoResolution, an educational platform that aims to empower and inspire meaningful action in the face of ecological breakdown through education and a big-picture approach to change by platforming the inspiring and imaginative ways that we can create cultures of liberation and ecological harmony. In 2021, Ruby and Christabel created Initiative Earth, a charity that empowers and enables individuals and communities to take action to support environmental restoration and regeneration. They will be launching Earthed.co later this year. I first met Ruby and Cristobal at a one-week introductory course in regenerative agriculture run by the wonderful folks at La Junquera in Murcia, southern Spain, and I had the pleasure of curating a panel for their stage at the Medicine Festival earlier this year. They are a powerful duo, and I've really been looking forward to sharing this conversation with you. Ruby and Cristobal, thanks for joining me from your different locations for our call today. Where are you right now in the world? I am at
1: home in Spain, um, in Ibiza, and very much enjoying, um, very much enjoying it here.
0: <laughs> I can hear the birds; it's really beautiful. How about you, Cristobal? <laughs> I'm in a concrete box in London.
2: <laughs> very much enjoying the concrete. <laughs> No, I'm really happy to be here. and love the Hive podcast. Thank you, Natalie.
0: Wonderful. Well, I'm glad to hear that and I'm happy to be joining you again today. Um, so let's dive in at the deep end with the question, what do you think is going on in the global human psyche right now? Who wants to go first?
2: Um, I can jump in. There's uh, obviously a lot of suffering happening across the world. Um. This could be seen um, as a result of a uh, deep disconnection people are experiencing like within themselves, with each other, with the natural living world, spiritually perhaps as well. Um, and I think this deep disconnection and separation, which has obviously been going on for more than just recent <laughs> years, um, but I feel which is kind of constantly feels like it's climaxing. Um, is also then creating contexts of polarization, of fear, of vulnerability to net, like, quite like further um, separation uh, narratives. Mm. Um, and I think, yeah, I think there's uh, a cloudiness, a fog um, over us um, collectively um, as we keep being kind of. Stunned by the current, the current narratives or or issues, um, and it's I feel like it's preventing us from really looking beyond the now into the future, igniting our collective imaginations, and almost more importantly, um, enabling us to manifest what we know in our hearts as possible. Mm. Um, there's a real short-termism to the way that we're currently thinking. I feel
0: that's very very succinct, and also the kind of the image of the fog. I mean, I definitely relate to that on certain days where it's just quite difficult to see through to a more thriving vision of what the future can be and to keep that sense of orientation. Ruby, what are your thoughts about where the global human psyche might be right now?
1: Um, I think it's hard to say on a global level, mm. like the human psyche. I think, I think that there are certain tranches of the global psyche that I could maybe speak to. Go for it. <laughs> but, um, I think it's quite an interesting time because on the one hand, I think people are feeling let down by those that we would... Have in the past perhaps have had held as figures of trust and authority and as leaders, um, global politics being increasingly side by side with corporations, global corporations, um, and individuals as spokespeople th- that talk to concepts. But don't actually relate to the lived experience of people, and there's a feeling of um, media aligning also with government and, and corporations and general human, like society, who 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 can be trusted mm. as figures of lead, as leadership, and um, who can be trusted to show the. Directions forward that will lead to greater harmony rather than greater division. Um, like we're looking in social media, it's um, lots of uh, desire. Like there's a big desire to point fingers and to blame um, people, to look for reasons for why we're in such bad situations, why we're in such difficult situations, why there's global crises um, in climate, in 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 social equality in, in so many different spheres that are the, some of the most important um, like spheres of existence are in crisis at the moment. Mm. And so there's anger and frustration, there's a loss of trust. At the same time, um, because of that, I think a lot of people are looking at what is important to them and reevaluating that and looking for new ways forward and new ways of living that are in harmony with their ideals, um, and I think that's where the great potential is um, to have really transformative, um, transformative realities. Mm. But I think it is—it's—it's—it's. It's, it's, I, I feel like we're at like a, a like a pivotal moment where we either go in that direction of bottom-up change, um, and Real uh, transformative systems being put in, in put in place around real ideals, rather than party politics, mm. or we're going to go in um, the other direction of increased social control and coercion and um, uniting of money and power uh, at the expense of democracy.
0: Yes. So between the two of you, as always, coming at it from very rich and different but complementary perspectives, starting to paint a picture of the complexity and poignance of where we are. It sounds like we're at um, a moment where there's potential for huge positive change, but also anguish. And I kind of, I'm always struck by this idea when you read older books, literature from other centuries, where people say, okay, well, These are the big things that we're grappling with in terms of crises, that it's very easy for us to dismiss where we are and say, well, there's always been crisis in the world. And yet, because of our interconnectedness and the entanglement of all of our systems, the crisis that we face, the crises that we face, I think are of a different scale and quality to the ones that we've previously had to endure. And so talking about transformation, which is something that you you mentioned, Ruby, in terms of what's possible and what's necessary... With the work that you both do at Advia, and the ways in which you weave together sort of threads of inner transformation without a change, what do you conceive of as integration in that work, in that realm?
2: I think the word integration keeps coming up for us recently. Um, and it's a question that we ask ourselves in particular um, in the digital realms that we're like now operating in we used to do um only in-person events and now we do pretty much just digital online um courses um so yeah sorry the word integration is coming up because we are going on these beautiful rich collective inquiries through each of the courses talking to wisdom holders activists poets artists you know to each other to to the course participants who are all of the above as well and um, I think this word integration is so important because whilst we're having these collective inquiries whilst we're learning about these incredible ways of being if we're not integrating that knowledge in our daily lives if it's not actually shifting and changing how we think about ourselves how we act in the world the practices that we actually take part in on a daily basis if those aren't shifting and changing then we're not really doing anything we're not creating change that goes beyond the surface um, and so the integration part is essential um, and it's and and it's funny with advice because it's not like um, very simple what you know that these are winding collective inquiries we don't kind of start out with these are the learning outcomes that you're going to have. it's very much emergent through the group and through the teachers who are, who are present. So yeah it's it's something that we're kind of constantly exploring um, and constantly inviting but not in a kind of top-down um, way. but you know you, you see this a lot this the lack of integration often also in like the, the realms of psychedelics where people are going off and having these incredibly profound experiences, but they're doing so in a way where it's going out and coming in, you know, that you're you're taking a substance to create something. So then when that sub, you're no longer taking that substance, you then are left often with the incredible ideas and notions and dreams and experiences you had but they have been had because of something that was external coming in. Mm. So I think for me also integration is about how do you literally embody that experience so that it shifts and changes. And I think that's also what we mean when we talk about Advia being home to transformative learning. It's learning that actually enables change that goes beyond the surface that takes you on a journey so that where you end up is very different to where you started from, rather than a kind of a cloak of a new knowledge, but just a cloak not, that's not affecting your inside.
0: <laughs> insides. I love that metaphor, no, it's beautiful. And also what you're talking about, the outside coming in and then, and then there's a question around agency of what do you do once you've unlocked that door or you've unlocked a particular experience? How do you then live it? How do you kind of make practical changes, change the rhythm of your day? or choose to live in a way that lets you stay connected with, let's say, for instance, we're talking about transcendent states where you experience a sense of oneness. How can you find that in day-to-day interactions without having to rely on continually going back to the tool, uh, in this case, the entheogen or whatever it might be? And just another point on that, I think, is it's. I think
2: we often have this very individualistic perspective on you know my spiritual transformation or my mental health practices but actually our well-being mentally physically collectively is 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 because of the circumstances that we find ourselves in and so what I think that this integration part is also about going you know through these learning journeys through advire but then actually taking that knowledge and implementing it in a way that that connects with other humans. And I see that as key to integration, like how do we create the mechanisms by which, pe- by which ideas become reality rather than become like another layer on top of reality. Mm.
0: And so let's let's dig into that a little bit, because one of the things that you're mentioning there is, is it's almost the, the way in which change doesn't happen in an isolated state, in the sense that in order for things to shift in our world, we have to relate it to one another and to the systems within which we we live. And one of the core qualities that seems to flow throughout your work together, whether through Advire or through Earth.co, which is coming out, which we'll talk about, or Eco Resolution, is this wonderful quality of collaboration. And so I'm curious, what is it that moves you to work in this way?
1: I feel so strongly about collaboration, because there's no it's impossible to exist in isolation anyway, like at the most basic um, level. And all work is done collaboratively. All personal work is also done collaboratively because you are basing your your knowledge systems on shared knowledge systems, on um, cultural knowledge systems. And for example writing a book or um having and like a, a great discovery a deeper way of seeing something often is the product of a journey of learning and a journey of being inspired by different influences whether environmental or human or social or um and and so it's 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 symptomatic of a culture that prioritises the individual that mm. all the books are often signed by one author, um, <laughs> whereas really it's a mixture. And when you read academic, when someone writes an academic essay, you see that more than anything because half of mm. it is footnotes, yeah, yeah. <laughs> <So true. laughs> or more than half of it is footnotes, and the bibliography is half the book. And yeah. like that's somehow erased in like mainstream publishing, and is definitely erased in people speaking um, on a stage usually um, often it's mm. c- conveyed as gospel from this individual person just they woke up and they had all of these big ideas <laughs> no no it comes from their lifetime of absorbing and traditionally storytelling for example and a lot of this is about storytelling like what we're doing is storytelling um, and Traditionally, storytelling was always in dialogue. And stories didn't have authors. They were passed down by generations. Stories weren't even written. They were oral. There was an oral tradition of telling stories. And it was mm. there was a storyteller in the town who would tell stories. And they would tell stories. And those stories would get memorized. And then they would be shared between villages. And, and, and that, I think, is such an important thing to remember. Um, And so when we first started VIA, we used to organize these big events and get lots of different people to come and talk and share their stories and share their discoveries, um, (laughs) or their shared discoveries and shared stories, um, to help to open the eyes and uplift um, those who we were around, our, our peers, ourselves as well. and. That has just continued in all in ever since then and how we work. It's always been collaborative. It's we want to try and um, have dialogue with people, as many people as we can from mo- from the audience, but also from like figures of authority that people see as figures of 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 authority who've come to a place of um, of respect, to see how we can better understand and better see the realities that we find ourselves in. And I think that's what collaboration is so important. It's like when you have a collage. Mm -hmm. And collages, I always think, in surrealism, they used collage a lot because you would put these strange things next to each other and then have this realization or this way of, um, way of moving you to see something differently, which is in, in in images which is very hard to write very hard to write down yeah. <laughs> and I just thought that's such a great metaphor for a collaborative approach of working and and to what we're doing as well
0: and mm-hmm. what you're describing, I also see a sense of alternative systems already living alongside the more hierarchical authoritative kind of top-down systems that most of us inhabit, at least in our worlds of work. Okay, perhaps us three are not a great example of that. But in in most common work practices, um, this sounds like quite a different system of uh, exchange that you're actually modelling for people. So I wonder then, if we're thinking about systems change and what you're modelling and what you're orienting towards, what are the biggest challenges do you think we have right now that are stopping us from exploring alternative models that might be more generative, like the collaborative model, if we're talking about relationships that you're describing? What are the biggest things that that stop us from taking these steps or leaps, whatever scale of change, to trying out something different that might be more beneficial to all of us? I think a big
2: part is um, faith, belief that another way is possible. I think if we lived in a culture that celebrated and embraced change rather than grieved it, we would have quite a different relationship with our understanding of what's possible. Um, Like Octavia Butler's got that quote, which I always come back to, which is, all that you touch, you change. All that you change, changes you. The only lasting truth is change. God is change. Hmm. And I feel like it's such a contrast to kind of how culture responds to change um so there's there's that like deep um like aspect of our relationship with change and then there's also the belief that i think humanity i think we've got such a low expectation of humanity and of um what we're capable of like on an individual and a collective level um i think we are so disempowered that we are literally have been waiting for governments to be able to usher in the kinds of policy changes needed to effectively respond to the climate emergency and social justice crises. Even though when you look back in history, we know that all good change has come from people's movements, Hmm. like pretty much all of it. And then the policy change occurs in response to that I can't think of an example. I mean I'm sure there was plenty of examples of course but like I can't think of any. I would like all civil rights movements have been from from the ground up and I think that we've got into such an apathetic state where we have this narrative that we are free when actually we are not free. We are so controlled, so coerced, so manipulated um and that we've forgotten that actually The power is like collective in our collective hands together to be able to to create alternative systems. And that, of course, it's possible. Everything is constantly changing. And I think that when we would when we could realize that we would realize that actually we don't have to consent to the way things are. And that we can realise that other people don't want to consent to it either. And then just come together and start exploring what these alternative systems can be. And rather than trying to chip away at the old block of the status quo, we just start creating the alternative system. So we're not fighting against something. We're just channeling our love, our attention, our resources, our energy into the systems which can make those old systems like obsolete, whether that's local I don't know know, what they are, but exactly, like off the top of my head right now, but there's plenty, (laughs) there's plenty of different ways of doing things.
1: I think as well, it's about um, bringing people together around visions that move disparate people and bring them together and then can create change from there. Whereas I think like one of the problems with the way change is often enacted right now is that it's um, binary so something is wrong something right is going to replace it and then that right thing is then going to be re- replaced so it stays within this kind of binary power of a paradigm of of, of hierarchy um, which is within the domination system that's creating issue and creating creating problem um one which is like um if you were to read the work of like Ian McGilchrist or Rianne Eisler, for example, like they're different but they're similar. In like Eisler talks about domination paradigms and um, left versus right but that's not transformative enough we have to move towards partnership systems which are similar to what was um in kind of traditional ways of traditional cultures um collaborative cultures same with um in he talks about the left and the right hemispheres of the brain and how they communicate among one another and the left brain being um around this kind of focus and logic and linearity and the role of the right brain being to kind of transcend through that and how in our culture we've had this dominance of this um, left brain, uh, which has led to the crises that we find ourselves in. Same with Rianne Isler, like this power of a paradigm uh, has led to the crisis we find ourselves in. When you look back at kind of imperial Rome, colonising and destroying the um, kind of indigenous ancestral traditions in northern europe and then the witch hunts that repeated that and um, and then that then being exported all around the world in um, kind of western colonialism and now it takes the guise of um, capitalist globalization Um, and it's it's the same same train through history and and when one replaces another in terms of power, we're staying within that same system. Um, and, and how can we move beyond that um, and transform that into other ways? And I think that that is like really, we start, I think we've started to identify human beings as this culture of kind of imperial colonizing force whereas in reality human beings are other are are, should be like in a al- light living in alignment with natural living systems because we are nature so it's, it's a cultural problem and I think identifying identifying it with a species I think that's when that's when we think we can't change or that we are virus we are the problem
0: so thinking about that narrative where humanity's potential is cast in a very bleak light, that humanity is the problem, that there's no other way to be, or indeed dealing with, CRISPR, what you're talking about, this kind of sense of fog and apathy and disempowerment that we can very easily succumb to if we spend so much time, you know, in social platforms where a lot of this stuff is kind of propagated. These sorts of issues are quite tricky, or can be quite tricky to Respond to in kind of in a in a creative way, especially because often it will take out any sort of mm, I guess what's the word I'm looking for like the sense of joy or possibility or aliveness or hope you know if you're feeling apathetic and overwhelmed, it's very hard to move yourself to a place where you can take some sort of action, whether it's a small local action or something on a larger scale. so how in your experience can we move people? Into a place where there is this sense of something else being not only possible, but desirable, within reach. That's something that's that's tangible, that's worth worth building towards, worth collaborating for. I think sometimes it's important to remember that we're always in action.
2: Like we, I mean, unless you literally lock yourself in a house, but even then, you're taking action. Like because you're, you're not participating, which is a participation in and of itself. Or just the lack of it <laughs> um so so i think when we're thinking i think when we're thinking about the world and our action within it it's good to remember that every every action every breath every word every time you buy something every time you gather with friends you are taking action and there are uh rip, like the effects of those actions ripple out um and I think when we can really realise that we can become really present to and, and and aware of what those actions are, what the impacts of those are, and how we can gradually or more radically shift from one kind of behaving behaviour to another kind of behaviour in order to um, explore how our actions or the effects of our actions can start to be more life-affirming, to be um, affirming the collective visions that that, that we hope to, to be able to be moving towards. Mm. Um, I think that storytelling is obviously a really important um, part of this process, but I do see it kind of as just the start, because I think when we, um, like, almost everything is a story in a way. <laughs> I don't know, I don't want to get to like, <laughs> out there but like everything is in a way a story um, that we tell ourselves or that we're told um and I think what's really important is also making a shift from storytelling to um building or co-creating the mechanisms that enable our hopes and our visions to become manifested um in the world um and just making things a lot more practical um, for people to actually Yeah, to be taking these actions, whether that's... So, for example, this is, um, in a way, what led Ruby and I to wanting to start this charity platform called Earthed, which would be a nature skills platform for people learning how to grow. Um, And the reason behind this is that the consciousness shifts are so integral, but if you're not also enabling people to access practical skills or access funds or access networks that, that are doing this practical work... We're not really creating the systems by which people can, well, not the systems, but the opportunities for people to start grounding their visions in reality. Mm. I
0: don't
2: know if that answered your question.
0: It does. And actually, let's dig in a bit more to earth.co, because I think this is something that bridges not just the the digital world, but obviously the living natural world, uh, which are intertwined and connected what is it that you hope that people will be able to gain from going to earth.co tell us a little bit about what it does and what people can enjoy and expect from the platform which is going to be coming out fairly soon yeah in spring we hope
2: um so on the platform you'll be able to find actionable videos um, court online courses, kind of masterclass type things, um, which are filmed and recorded around the world by local and global ecosystem restorers and regenerative agriculture experts. And these will be skill-based courses that hopefully not only ignite people's imagination and belief that it's possible for them to be more than a degrading force on the planet, but actually to be a regenerative force um, and that these skills can empower people to go out into their backyards or front gardens or balconies or local rivers or local woodlands and to start actually um, restoring these local environments. Um, the UN reports uh, that we need to restore a billion hectares in the next eight years. Wow. That that is an immense amount of of land and, and water and ecosystems. They say that the only way that we'll be able to do this is not purely by the top down ecosystem restoration projects, which are of course essential, but by incentivizing, and we see not incentivizing, but supporting local people, they say local stakeholders, the local people, to be able to actually go out and and start actively participating in this great regeneration movement, which of course has been going on forever and has actually been the way of life for many indigenous. Um, And local people. So it's about opening the channels and removing obstacles um, to this great movement. So, those obstacles being, um, in our eyes, access to skills, access to networks, and eventually access to funds.
0: Amazing and very, very clear. And I love the idea of this being framed under the umbrella of the great regeneration. And I think part of that also comes back again to this thread that we're weaving throughout this conversation of storytelling, and storytelling, when we're thinking about the ways that we tell stories, it's not just through the technology that we use, through the conversations we have, it's also through arts and culture and gathering. If I asked you to imagine what you would long for in a regenerative future, in a thriving future, what are the top things that come to mind for you? What does that look like in your wildest imaginings?
1: From my perspective, it would be uh, diversity, um, like, Diverse ecosystems um, of all types, marine ecosystems, forest ecosystems, but also diverse um, viewpoints in the world, um, being able to coexist side by side, um, diverse um, diverse peoples, diverse cultures um, and a, a culture that enabled diversity a global culture that enabled diversity to thrive. Um, I think that would be my, my biggest dream. Um, and cause right now we are in the opposite of that, I think, um, increasing, increasing monoculture and uh, yeah, I, we don't, we've already talked about all the doom and gloom in the world, so yeah, <laughs> staying on the positive, <laughs> but, yeah, uh, uh, somewhere, somewhere that was characterized by diversity, um, and, and coexistence.
0: Christopher, how about you?
2: I would say, like, the future in the future, I'd like to see, a, like, a total transformation of how we understand health, how we understand mental health, physical health, um, understanding that our individual health is a reflection and totally dependent on our ecological um, and, like, social health. And that, you know, those suffering with anxiety and depression or addiction are, like, actually that is a result of the context that they are finding themselves in as well as obviously some like biological reasons as well but really like that shouldn't be writing people's destiny it's the cultures that we are creating which writes in a way our destiny um and i would like to see a transformation in our understanding of what we're capable of um, in the most positive life-affirming way um, and as pat mccabe says to be um, you know, on the hoop of life, to be upholding the honour of being human being and I think really falling in love with existence and with life and with change and um, with our sovereignty um, and just generally becoming fully enchanted um, with, with our existence. Mm.
0: And so one of the things that you also do very well as you have extensive webs of connections and resources and the stuff that you guys create together what are some of the resources that you've encountered over your years of collaborating together that you think would be really helpful to share to people right now? So people listening to podcasts thinking, okay, this is great. What can I listen to? What can I read? What quotes can I turn to? Or whatever it might be. Do you have some tips on the ones that you really turn to for inspiration?
1: I think... If you search the website speakers, <laughs> <laughs> I mean, that's that's a pretty good resource. Loads of amazing people there to, to look at more. I would say
2: I always suggest, especially people like maybe feeling like at, like the start of an exploration into inner and outer transformation, um, i it's Satish kamar's book autobiography of an earth pilgrim really sparked like a major shift in direction in my life so i'd always go back to that one um uh, Hari johan I is his name um, who speaks about like depression and addiction i think is incredible um his book lost connections um and Sharon Blackie, who writes about if women were as rooted um, and the enchanted life. I think it's called, yeah, Enchanted Life. Um, I could go on, but I'll just maybe leave it with those three. <laughs> That's kind of inner and outer transformation, seeing differently like the, from the perspective of addiction and depression, mm-hmm. and Sharon Blackie about falling in love with life.
1: Useful. Mm, if I was going to give three people, I think they would be... Um, Rupert Sheldrake's analysis of the history of science in, in, in the Western world. Um, I think that's really interesting to understand and really changes how you view things. Um, uh, Ian McGillchrist's um, books, uh, The Master and His Emissary, and then the more recent one, Matter, The Matter with Things. Um, Talking again about culture and 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 the human within that, and Riane Eisler's analysis of power, um, I think is really really transformative. Brilliant! I knew you'd have some good resources. I want one more. Go on, one Aire more. <laughs>
2: I can't believe I didn't say it before. Adrian Mary Brown's book, Emergent Strategy, was also transformative. So that's brilliant for anyone who wants to explore change. Okay, then I have to have some more. Because,
1: <laughs> 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 because mine were all like really academic and not at all embodied. So then just some more like embodied ones. Um Salami, Sensuous Knowledge. And um, David Abraham, Spell of the Sensuous. And Andreas Weber, Matter and Desire.
0: Amazing. Have a resource of. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think you need to create an admire library. Um, Very interesting. Okay, great. So that is a lot for our list of potential books slash inquiries. Um, And before we move towards the very end of our conversation, I'd love to ask how you orient yourself towards hope on dark days, especially given especially given the fact that the kind of work that you're doing means you need to be awake to the kind of challenges we face. And so one thing that I struggle with sometimes is not turning away from things for too long. And I think sometimes there is a need for shelter in the storm and for landing on an island and just taking a rest. How do you deal with that? How do you not burn out? How do you create a sense of possibility and hope when things get overwhelming? I go
1: swimming every day. (laughs) <laughs> um, I think when, and I spend as much time in nature alone as possible, um, but the swimming and, um, in nature, including sleeping out, uh, especially with as little equipment as possible. So without a tent, just, um, a billy bag or like a, a mosquito net and not making fires that distract you from like just being in nature. Um, I find like when you make a fire, the whole thing is about the fire, but <laughs> yes, yes. it's just like, so distracting. Um, and and um, lots of people would hate me for saying that because they think <laughs> the fire is the most. But for me, no, no fire, and just like being, and like looking at the shadows. And um, and in the swimming thing is so important to me because, again, like with the lack of equipment. If you don't have... If you just have a mask and yourself in the water, you're so vulnerable and you're so open and you're so alone. And if you go for quite a long swim, like, around on the coast, you you can't really think that much because you're focusing on your breathing and perhaps looking at the things in the water, um, like the rocks and the bottom of the seabed. and mm-hmm. And it's the most transformative thing and, and when you come out of the water I feel like the world, you see the world new um, and, you, and you feel like a different person mm. and I don't think you can have any of those like, negative thoughts that we might accumulate in day to day when you're swimming it's, mine's quite empty um, I, I, I don't meditate but I do swim and I think mm. that is uh, an amazing practice
0: That sounds amazing. And for everyone listening in the UK, um, she is talking about swimming in a rather sunnier place
1: than England. Swimming swimming in England is even better because you have the full on like wave experience, (laughs) (laughs) swallowing loads of water. (laughs) You can think even less and it's so cold. It's good in a wetsuit. And then you come out. And my friend used this term yesterday who I swam with, who... And the term "punch drunk," which I suddenly oh, yeah. had this penny drop moment. of that's what punch drunk means, it you feels you've just been like punched, and you're just like, woof <laughs> That's the feeling when you get out the water. That is just a really good feeling.
0: <laughs> Amazing. Well, that is a very hearty endorsement right there, <laughs> Christopher. How about you? It will be sponsored by the seas.
2: <laughs> yes, yes. Um. Mine's really different. This is where we like really are obviously so different. <laughs> um, yeah, mine's not cold water for me. My, and also I think wait the question is orienting ourselves to hope in dark times. Um, I think also in your question you said like you know to avoid burnout and just like really honestly I don't think I do avoid burnout. I think I burn out a lot, like on a, like on a small weekly basis. <laughs> Um, and and I just and I do and I and I think we can I don't know I think we can like overly villainize burnout and again it's like well of course you're going to be burning out periods like it's really it's a lot to be constantly engaging with the crises and even though you're we're like the flip side is that we're engaging with creating alternative systems and um, and resourcing ourselves and others, but that they, they do they coexist those two truths. Um, even if you're focusing on one, that is a not that is the re- also the reality in the context. Um, and we're you know we're doing a lot. We're trying to run two organisations and it's busy. And so you're on a computer a lot of the time. Um, so for me, in those times, what I orient towards is um, chanting. And breathing, and mental repetition of chants while breathing. For me, it's Mm -hmm. about I have to hook my brain, and through very complex, like multi-layered (laughs) yogic practices that aren't really that much move, that don't involve that much movement. I need to be super still and really focused. Um, So I'm really lucky to have a teacher or two teachers who help me through that. Um, And then friends is massive. Um, I would be nothing without my relationships with my friends and family and partner um, and recently I've also been, um, I used to think I didn't really want or need friends in that were working in a similar space to me um, and actually I've realised how wrong that is since really burning out I think last year um, I've found so much support and community through people who are engaging in similar kinds of work
0: um,
2: and trying to get those balanced so so yeah, for me, it's very much about like trying to engage in these kind of consciousness-shifting practices. And just the last thing I'll say on this is that um, something else massive for me is um, about acting in a way with, acting with non-attachment to the fruits of our actions. So I start to burn out when I start to think, everything that we're doing is going to have absolutely no effect or the course that we're building we're not going to have no one's going to want to come to it, or the platform is going to be rubbish like you know like really worrying that like the, the fruits of our actions are not going to be what we hope them to be and that causes a lot of stress and self-doubt and actually for me it's about connecting with your intuition with your gut and trusting in the process and and through those consciousness practices we're really becoming aligned with what you feel to be your kind of sacred purpose in life and then doing that with this to the best of your ability so that actually you just relinquish the fruits of your actions as the Bhagavad Gita teaches to the greater good Um, and then it's not really about you and your self-doubt you're just in action and hopefully in alignment Um, and then often maybe when you're not you learn from your mistakes and (laughs) <laughs> and realign. Um, so yeah, those are some some of the tools that I rely on.
1: Can I add one more thing? Sort of broken record, um, <laughs> but um, another thing is like not making it all about you, um, not making it all about me, because it's never just about me or you. It's it's about like who you're doing it with, and it's about like a we. And and I think the more that we can realize that and do things together um, changes so much um, and like just taking the eye a bit out of the picture um, and and if it and if it does feel like all your work is alone like finding people to collaborate with and I think then I, and then I think at least you can burn out together or
2: <laughs> help each other through the burnout <laughs> <laughs> um, <laughs> yeah but I do think <laughs> I
0: think then burnout is a little bit yeah I like the generosity with which you hold it because there is also this tendency I don't know if you've noticed this as well for like this kind of the perfect life and you've got to meditate x number of times or do this much exercise and this type of exercise and eat this kind of food and it. It seems really kind of the one thing that I don't like about it is that it, it's again it's this kind of binary perspective on there being a right path a virtuous path and I always think that's such a narrow way to experience oneself and, and to expect oneself to live because there's got to be that kind of it's almost like a playful acceptance of the mess and to be able to hold that lightly and and Christabel also to your point about um, not having such attachment to the fruits of our actions, of our labours, so that you then don't get bogged down. And this does occasionally happen to me, although less now than in my 20s, this sense of, oh, my God, well, this person has created this much stuff or they've had this much impact or they're living this kind of life. And it's so unhelpful if it becomes something which you then use as a stick to beat yourself with, to push yourself down a path that maybe you're flourishing less, you're, you're feeling more stressed, and then it kind of snowballs into a different direction so if there was a question that you could suggest to those listening to dwell with something that might just give them a pause for thought on the top of your minds or maybe at the deepness of your minds what would that question be it would be what's at the root of your action um
2: or decision kind of thing to explore that and if it's fear of not being good enough, or um, not being whole, or missing out, or whatever it is, then you put that action is probably going to lead you to more suffering, or to lead to others suffering. And if it's something about embracing like the moment in life, or a new opportunity, or to learn something, or to collaborate with others, or you know, they, to just really inquire into what's driving me to want to make this decision.
1: Mm. Um, I think that would be a big
0: one. I love that. Very clear. How about you, Ruby?
1: I think a bit similar to Christabel, um, but it would be about how can, um, how can my actions come from love or how can I create, um, how can I create love in the world um, or joy? Same thing, really. Similar thing.
0: Mm. And on that note, um, thank you so much for being in conversation with me. If people want to learn more about your work, what are the best places to find you?
2: Our new Advaya website is going to be advaya.life. Currently, it's advaya.co. Uh, by Via.life, um same as our Instagram. And then you can go to Eco Resolution, which is like our first kind of big activity through our charity that we've been doing for a few years. We've got a bunch of resources and interviews and articles around kind of climate action and um, different brilliant topics. And then um, soon we will have Earth.co, uh, which should be coming out in April. And that's where you can access practical skills to start
0: restoring your local ecosystem wonderful thank you so much it's been a pleasure thank you
2: thank you natalie
0: well folks that's a wrap i've really really loved putting this season together and i hope you found our intrepid exploration into how we might envision and create a more integrative flourishing future for all as uplifting and valuable as i have If you've enjoyed the podcast, please do pop over to iTunes, Spotify or wherever it is that you listen and leave a rating and a review. It really means the world to me to read and hear your support and it keeps me going to create more seasons. Speaking of which, the Hive podcast will be back in the spring with another set of stimulating conversations for you to delve into. In the meantime, if you'd like to find out more, you can sign up to my newsletter at natalienahide.com Explore additional books and resources at natalienahyde.com forward slash resources, or you can follow me on Twitter and LinkedIn at High. As always, my heartfelt thanks to Caro C for producing. Thank you so much for listening, and I look forward to sharing more with you in the next season.